Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Arizona today became the latest state to work toward enforcing a near total ban on abortion. The state's attorney general is making the case why the state has the right to return to a law from 1864. This as Kentucky just won a case to keep abortion bans in place. Here's NTD's Melina Wisecup with the details. Arizona could soon be the latest state to ban abortion as early as conception under a law that was first written in the 19th century before Arizona was officially granted statehood. If the court rules conservatively, the state's abortion laws will be even more extensive than the 15-week ban on abortion recently signed into law by Governor Ducey. Is it surprising at all that a state like Arizona, which has a such, such a mixed base of voters politics-wise, is working towards imposing restrictions on abortions? Well, what we've seen consistently in Arizona, regardless of who they're sending to Washington, is that the legislature and the governor is strongly pro-life. Over and over, they passed pro-life bills, including this year, where they passed a 15-week law, just in case that's all the Supreme Court did. And they said, if the Supreme Court only upholds Mississippi's 15-week law, we want to protect children as much as we can. And, and that might be 15 weeks. But now that we know that states can protect life throughout pregnancy from that earliest moment, that's what Arizonans want to do. Pima County Superior Court Judge Kelly Johnson was expected to hear arguments today from both Planned Parenthood attorneys and the state's attorney general, Mark Brnovich. One of my dearest friends is actually from Arizona, and she's been a pro-life advocate for over 15 years. And she is like millions of Americans and, and people who live in Arizona who want protection for preborn children in the womb. The action in Arizona comes after earlier this week, Kentucky won a lawsuit brought by Planned Parenthood. Now most abortions in Kentucky are illegal. And in Georgia, a judge this week allowed a heartbeat law to remain in effect as a lawsuit that challenges the abortion restriction makes its way through the courts. Right now, there are 12 states that have banned nearly all abortions, although this number changes by the day. So there are a few states like Indiana that came in for a special session. Uh, I think there are a few more states we expect will probably enact life-affirming laws uh, in January. And then there are a few like South Carolina, West Virginia, that are uh, thinking about coming into a special session may pass a law this fall. While many in America have pushed the message that abortion restrictions are outdated, some pro-life advocates tell us they believe the majority of people still cherish traditional values. And sometimes those values are looked down upon, sometimes they're mocked in Hollywood, and it can be easy for people to think that they don't matter. But for millions of Americans, they really do matter. They're foundational values and they're traditional values, and they really are at the core of who we are as a society, and they are very important to who we are as human beings. It's expected that five more states are on the way towards passing abortion restrictions in the months ahead. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Minnesota Congresswoman Michelle Fishback says overturning Roe v. Wade was monumental. She says the fight is not over and it's just the beginning to change hearts and minds. We had a chance to speak with her recently. Congresswoman Michelle Fishback, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's a great day at CPAC. Um, what is the state of the, uh, you know, situation on abortion right now, if you will? I will tell you, the overturning of Roe versus Wade was monumental. It is something that we have worked for and prayed for for 50 years, but the fight's not over. 
because we still need to change hearts and minds. And the pro-abortionists are, are going nuts and they are doing whatever they can to make sure that abortion is legal up until the moment of birth. But on the federal level, we're taking a look at some things because, you know, one of the, one of the pro-life things that we have been doing for many, many years is supporting women. And, and their babies. And so that is something that we are looking at on the federal level that we're putting together a, a support life package in, in essence to help those women, to help them making sure they have an informed consent so that they know what's going to happen during an abortion, so that they understand what the procedure is about. So making sure they have that information and can make a decision. Making sure that places like crisis pregnancy centers have the kind of money to support women and their babies and help them and show them the options that are there. Show them that there are other things than abortion. Pro-abortionists say, you know what, the answer to everything is have an abortion. We're so saying there are other options. We want to make sure that you have that. In addition to that, there's another uh, part of the uh, supporting women agenda that would be making sure that they have access to all of the information they need with, uh, with the internet. Um, we can make sure that they understand there are resources out there for them, whether it be uh, housing or help that they can get. Instead of treating it as a crisis pregnancy, making sure that they understand that we're there to help them through that. It's a very interesting point. I grew up in a very blue state of Massachusetts where you never even heard of uh, another option in terms of these crisis pregnancy centers. Um, is there uh, an ability for them to be funded? Well, you know, we've done it on the state level in various states where we are providing grants to those crisis pregnancy centers because right now so much money goes to the pro-abortionists, government money goes to the pro-abortionists, and so many of those crisis pregnancy centers have been doing everything from the donations of wonderful people. And so we should be able to help them and make sure that that women can understand their options, that they have the kinds of funds they need to do the good work they're doing, which is helping women through the through the pregnancy, but in addition to that, helping them with once the baby is born, making sure they have diapers, making sure they have the crib that they need. So uh, that is something that I think that we can do on a federal level, and a lot of the states are doing some of it, but making sure that we are supporting women during their pregnancy and after birth. Now, I just want to ask you about your bill. Um, it's called the Supporting Life Agenda, and it includes a parent notification system for any minor seeking an abortion. Uh, can you explain that? Well, and basically what it would require was that if there is a minor who is seeking an abortion, that a parent be notified before that abortion takes place. It's one parent, it's notification. I know there's a variety, you know, there's parental consent and things like that, but I think what we're looking at on the federal level um, that I'd like to see is just that notification. And see, remember on the federal level, states can go beyond. So if we do a 12 week ban, states can go beyond that and ban it just like Indiana did, or they can go to parental consent. But I think on the federal level, we need to be thinking about what's the minimum standard. And one of the other things is, we want to save every baby we can. I want to save every baby. I want to ban abortion tomorrow, but I know that's not the political reality of it. And so we have to make sure that we are take, uh, presenting that legislation that we can pass, that we can save more babies with every day. And that's why I say, you know, the theme of changing hearts and minds, that's where we've got to be too, is we've got to continue that fight and making sure people understand the humanity of the unborn child and that it really is a life. And so we will continue to make those steps. Um, I said at the beginning, you know, Rover, overturning Roe versus Wade was monumental, but it's the beginning. But it's the beginning for us to change those hearts and minds. Congresswoman Michelle Fishback, thank you. Thank you very much.
The judge who signed off on the warrant to raid former President Trump's residence has signaled that he will unseal the affidavit. The affidavit is anticipated to be heavily redacted, raising questions of how much light will actually be shed on the matter. Here to discuss our next guest is attorney and founder of Patriot Academy, Rick Green. Rick Green, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's good to be back. You bet. Rick, with regard to the hearing yesterday to unseal the affidavit used to get the warrant to search President uh, Trump's home, if you could just for us uh, clarify for our viewers, what is the affidavit in relation to the warrant and will it actually tell a story? Well, it, it, it will tell a story. I don't know that the story will be any different than what we, we already know, that this is an abuse of power and it was a broad, broad warrant that uh, frankly falls closer to a writ of assistance under the English that uh, caused the revolution revolution in the first place. If you go back to our early American history, I'm not sure how much will actually be in the affidavit that would give any teeth to the claims that they're making. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I think it's worth fighting for and it's worth getting out there. Um, but I, I think the bigger picture here, what, what really, in my opinion, is, is actually encouraging is that by going after Donald Trump in this way, they're exposing what they've been doing to ordinary average Americans like you and me for a long time but it never gets any press or it never gets out there. We just assume that somebody was guilty because the FBI went after them. And when, and when I mention these writs of assistance, I think this is so important for people to remember. All the way back to 1761, James Otis, who was kind of like a, I guess you could call him a grandfather to the American Revolution instead of a founding father, but he was really the inspiration. John Adams said after he gave a five-hour speech, James Otis in 1761, five-hour speech against the writs of assistance, John Adams said that's when independence was born and it grew up 15 years later into adulthood with the Declaration of Independence. But his whole speech was about how evil this is, that you would give these broad search warrants, essentially, where you could go in and find anything against anybody. And we know from what the Soviets used to say, you know, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. I mean, my goodness, anybody in America is, is according to most of the, you know, the studies that have been done out there, probably committing about three federal crimes a day that they don't even know that they're violating. So this is incredibly dangerous for the whole country, not just for whether or not Donald Trump gets to run for president. Sorry for the long answer, Stephen. Kind of fired up today. No worries, Rick. I mean, to your point, uh, this isn't just any judge either. Uh, this is the same judge who approved the warrant. He also appears to be a Democrat activist based yeah. on uh, social media posts. How much of this whole thing could be calculated f through a political lens, uh, especially with the midterms coming up? The whole thing. You know, that, that that's the thing. I mean, th this is why it's so unprecedented. We've never allowed for political prosecution at the, in this way or persecution. Use either either word, right? And, the, and it's easy to tell. You can tell whether it's political persecution or it's actually blind justice you know because you got one side right now saying nobody's above the law and you got the other side saying wait a minute this is this is politics what's well, real easy to tell are we treating everybody the same is it actually blind justice if democrats did exactly what donald trump has supposedly have done did the fbi go after them and the answer is of course no and we've seen this in so many other areas as well but that's the simple test are we treating everybody the same that's what blind justice and equal justice is all about and that's my real fear here is that we're losing that concept. We're actually acting like it's okay to go after the other side. As long as you're going after the people I hate, I'm okay with the FBI or whoever's doing it. That's a real dangerous road to go down. I think what you said is exactly the right the right view of this. It should all be seen through a political lens. Look at all the players in this. Look at even at the top with Merrick Garland. 
I mean, this is a guy that Donald Trump prevented from being on the Supreme Court. Once Donald Trump was elected, Merrick Garland's hopes of being on the Supreme Court were gone. This is a guy that called parents domestic terrorists because they didn't want their kid to be groomed at school or their daughter be raped in a bathroom because of the president's horrible policies on the whole gender fluidity thing. So, I mean, it, it's politics all over the place. It's ugly. It's wrong. I don't think it's going to end up hurting Donald Trump. I think it's going to end up helping him, but it's going to hurt our justice system overall. Rick, that's what I wanted to ask you about next. What are the long-term impacts uh, from your uh, perspective on our institutions and specifically the Department of Justice? Lack of faith, man, lack of trust. You know, when you get to this point where, um, you know, people just almost laugh when, when they hear um, somebody from the FBI or from the Department of Justice stand up and act like they're fighting for for truth, justice in the American way, like the old Superman comics. I mean, at this point, you just you you see that and you you say, no way, you've proven yourself to be biased. You've proven yourself to uh, to do things that that should not be done. Uh, and that's not to disparage every, every every FBI agent out there. It's just like when you say, you know, there, there, there's always a bad cop or a bad teacher. There's always a bad FBI. I mean, there's we're human beings, so there's going to be corruption. There's always going to be problems. We don't paint everything with a broad stroke and say it's all bad. But at this point, I think we have reached a point where the Department of Justice has become so politicized and the FBI has been willing to be used as a political tool I think Congress has to look at starting over, uh, either dismantling completely and starting over or saying we're going to have a, a, a very thorough investigation and clean sweep of this agency. Rick Green, always appreciate your insight. Good to be back with you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.